0: You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. And this is John 3, through 36. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the, into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him.
1: Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we now have to to meditate on what you have said to us. And I pray that, uh, Lord, you know that we are often very spiritually slow and dull. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would quicken our hearts and our minds, our eyes, our ears, would be open to the things of Jesus and that he would be uh, so much more amazing and wonderful to us this morning. Uh, than he was before, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, I got the opportunity to listen to a guy by the name of Mark Whitaker share his story. Uh, Mark Whitaker was a part of one of the biggest financial scandals of the 20th century. He worked for a uh, biotech agricultural company uh, AMD. And when he first started out of the company, he quickly rose high in the ranks. And as he got closer to the top uh, executive positions, he was approached uh, by uh, one of the uh, big chiefs, one of the CEO-like figures. And they started to kind of treat him really, really nice and invite him to special meetings and give him these special benefits, extra bonuses and these sorts of things. Uh, And and they were telling him that they were going to be teaching him about how they do business here at the top of the company. And of course, you know, it's hard to turn down, you know, extra money, especially when it's in half a million to millions of dollars. And he was like, oh, wow, this is great. I'm learning how to do business here at AMD. And the thing was, is that the reason they were treating them so well is because if people found out what they were doing at AMD, uh, the company and particularly those at the top would be in very big trouble because they were involved in a price fixing uh, enterprise, which is, so they were a large company that they were making uh, ingredients that everyone had to purchase for different types of foods and they were meeting with their competitors. To fix the prices at a certain rate so that nobody could have a competitive, there was no competition. Anyone who needed their product would have to go to them or one of their competitors and they would get the same price. And so, what this enabled was for everybody, their, them and their competitors, to put the prices high, charge high prices. Well, one, uh, at some point, Mark Whitaker kind of was like, you know, seemed shady when he first started, but, you know, didn't bother him. The money seemed to shine brightly. Um, But finally, it seems to get his attention, you know what, maybe this is a bad idea. Mm -hmm. And so he actually approached the FBI and told them about this. And immediately the FBI decided to investigate and enlisted him as a double agent spy and witness. And so he was regularly now uh, wired and setting up cameras at meetings. Uh, that were taking place all over the world. They, they were meeting with companies from Japan and Korea, uh, and Canada. And he he spent several months uh, getting evidence of what the company was doing. And uh, and sure enough, uh, the, the top executives uh, all got in very big trouble. They ended up paying somewhere around a hundred million dollar fine to the United States government, which was the highest at the that. Uh, and they paid more in lawsuits. It was a massive, massive scandal. Uh, and of course, uh, it was somewhat dangerous. Uh, Mark Whitaker had death threats uh, from these guys who were his buddies. You know, they didn't want to go to prison and they didn't want to lose their fortunes. Now, so Whitaker becomes a, a, a key witness in one of the biggest court cases of the century. And here, in John's Gospel, we have the focus of this chapter is on John the Baptist. Uh, and the reason uh, John the Baptist is so important in John's Gospel is because he is a key witness. So this morning, I think we have a slide uh, with an outline of the passage. So maybe we have a slide? There we go. Um, so we have the setting in the first uh, two verses and then there's a controversy that arises and John's disciples come to him they're like, Rabbi you know that other guy that you were telling people about? He's like more popular. And then what we're going to primarily look at this morning is John's response verses 27 through 30 and then we'll conclude by just looking at a very brief commentary that John gives on this whole situation. And we want to keep, I want you to keep in mind the the word witness as we go throughout this. Because that is what John is all about. And this is the last time we get to see John the Baptist. So, let us take a look at John the Baptist's response to his disciples' concern. His disciples are, are you can understand it. You know, they've been with John through thick and thin. And now, you know, he's the old guy. He's he's kind of run his time. It's Time to move on. And his disciples are like, John, you know, that other guy's getting all the attention from everybody. And John gives them first a proverb in verse 27. He says, A man can't receive anything that he hasn't gained, that hasn't been given him from heaven. There's nothing that you have, that I have, that anyone ever gets that's worth anything that doesn't come from God. All good things come from God. And so John just starts off. I don't have anything to complain about. God's given me what I've got to do. And that's what I'm going to do. And then he says in verse 27 to them, You can actually bear witness to me that my testimony, what I was witnessing to, was that I am not the Christ. I was sent before him. That was my job. That was the job that heaven gave me to do, was to go before him. And in fact, if you turn to John chapter 1, in verses 19 and 20, a a number of folks come out from Jerusalem to interrogate John. Who who are you? They want to know his identity, because he was getting attention at that time. And he says, flat out, I'm not the Christ. And that's what John's referring to here in chapter 3. And then in verse 7 of chapter 1, He says that he came as a witness. John tells us he came as a witness to testify concerning the light. And why? So that the purpose of his testimony was that through him all might believe. He was to witness. He wanted to help people believe in the light. And in fact, the whole job, you know, John the Baptist, the Baptist is not like his last name or something. That's like, Because he was so tied with the act of baptizing people, putting people in the water, bringing them up, and people were coming out to him. And he was dunking all these people. But the reason he was dunking people, we're told in chapter 1, was this, verses 30 and 31. This, This is the one, the Lamb of God he's talking about, is the one that I meant when I said, A man comes after me, has surpassed me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. John's baptizing activity, the dunking of people into the water, was in fact that all of God's people might actually be able to identify who the hero was, who the Christ was. And so the baptizing activity of John was in fact served as a highlight marker for people of where to find the Messiah, the hero of Israel. He wanted Israel to know who Jesus was. And then, so John gives us, he gives us this sort of aphorism, this proverb.
0: And then he says,
1: here was my testimony. Remember what I testified. And now he gives an analogy. The analogy is of a wedding. And it's a fantastic analogy, actually, for John's job. Because he's preparing God's people for God arriving. He says that he's a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for God. And in weddings in the ancient world, the best man kind of served a little bit as like a bit of a wedding planner kind of person. You know, the whole, his whole job was to make sure the wedding goes well. That's all he has to do. That's all he has to do. Some of you have been a part of weddings, and you know that that's no small task, necessarily. Um, But that's his job. His job is not to get married. His job is to help someone else get married. And so he wants, one, that people will (coughs) know who Jesus is. But then, second, he's saying, with this wedding analogy, that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Because throughout the whole Old Testament, all the Hebrew scriptures that have come before have portrayed the relationship of Israel with God as a marriage, as a big wedding. And so what you get uh, is any number of verses. Here's Isaiah 62, verses 4 and 5, where God says, No longer will they call you Israel, no longer will they call you deserted or abandoned, for the Lord will take delight in you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. So th- there's a big wedding that people have been waiting for and John finally has shown up in the wedding planner role and everyone's now looking for the, for the groom and John helps him find the groom but now his disciples are like Rabbi, everyone's going to him and John's like that's my job. That's my job. Now, how many weddings have you been to where you were just struck by the how great the best man was? I mean, how many of you can remember who the best man was in most of the weddings you've ever been to? Some of you might not even remember the best man for your wedding. The, the best man's not supposed to do anything super important. Uh, Pastor J.D. Greer uh, just listened to a talk that he gave in which he talks about how, um, imagine going to a wedding and you notice the best man is like winking at the bride or like he's flirting with the bride in the middle of the ceremony. You, would, Everyone would be like, what a creep. And if the wedding turned out that the best man marries the bride, that is like a disastrous wedding. That would be beyond awkward everybody would be quite confused and many people would be more than put out. The job of the bridegroom, the best man, is to not distract from the main event, the main wedding. But this is something that actually is very difficult, especially when it comes to churches. J.D. Greer gave this example because he was talking to a bunch of pastors and telling them you don't want to be flirting with God's bride. You don't want to be flirting with the bride of Christ and drawing attention more to yourself than to Jesus. And I, so when I was at seminary, I can remember sitting around the dinner table uh, one night. And one of, one of my seminary buddies said that his goal being at seminary was that I want to be able to preach the gospel and then be forgotten. And my immediate reaction in my head, I didn't say this out loud, was that is not what I want to do. I want people to remember me. And at that point, like bells and whistles should have been going off, like you should not be in seminary right now because you don't understand what your job is. This is a a serious problem in many, many churches. And this is something as a church that you can pray for uh, those who get up in front of you you know pastors, those who sing and lead you in worship because it is so easy when you get in front of people to want people to think great things about you rather than about God now how does John respond so he, how, what's, what's his feeling about this situation in verses 29 uh, through 30 we get a picture of John's he not only tells us about his job but now how does he feel about it One of the things that's important to know about John the Baptist is that he was important. People knew about John. He was well known uh, in his time. All the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all mention John. He takes up the beginning of all their gospels, just like John's gospel. And in fact, we find out in the book of Acts that there were people all the way over near Greece who knew about John. In fact, the historian, Josephus, who was the Jewish historian for this time period, mentions John the Baptist. He was a, he was a big name. It wasn't like he was a no-name person who then f- just receded into more no-nameness. <laughs> he was really well-known. And, in fact, he regularly had people coming out to hear him preach. He was a great preacher. But he says in verse 29 that he has joy. In the fact that Jesus is becoming more popular He says just the the, the the friend of the bridegroom rejoices greatly At the bridegroom's voice And he says that joy is mine And it's complete This is exactly what I came to do And it's going fantastic I'm so glad That the bride and the groom are getting together That the people of God are meeting with their God he wanted to point people to Jesus. He wanted the fame of Jesus to grow, and he is bursting at the seams with joy. What about us? Are you excited about people knowing about Jesus? Like when someone gets to know Jesus, is that What does that do for you? Or is it like do you feel like somehow maybe when someone gets really jazzed about Jesus and seems like maybe your friendship is like getting eclipsed just a bit you're like oh whoa you're way way too into jesus what about me no we want more of jesus we want other people to know more of jesus and john in fact then says he must increase but i must decrease the roman the the world in which jesus and john lived was dominated by the Romans, and the Romans lived, they lived for fame. Julius Caesar, uh, who who lived about almost a hundred years before uh, Jesus and John, probably one of the most famous human beings ever in human history, because he was incredibly charismatic, super effective general, great politician, uh, for the most part, you know, he got killed. But he read a biography of Alexander the Great, who was also one of the most famous people in the world. And Alexander the Great pretty much conquered most of the known world by the time he was 33. And many of us at this point wonder, what are we doing with our lives? (laughs) And Caesar read about Alexander the Great and his his fame and his accomplishments, and he weeps because he was like in his fifties, he's like, what have I done with my life? He wanted to grow in fame. He wanted to be famous. He wanted to be number one in the world of Rome. And today we live in a very similar celebrity type of culture. Everybody is all about achievement. We're all about self-promotion. We're about building our resumes, getting advancements. In fact, Mark Whitaker, the reason he got almost duped into this scandal was because he was climbing the corporate ladder. Why not? Why stop? There was money. And there was power to be gained. He did achieve a certain celebrity, but for the wrong reasons. But here's what one commenter says about celebrity, celebrity in our time, when success is so largely a function of youth, glamor and novelty, glory is more fleeting than ever. And those who win attention of the public worry incessantly about losing it. If your value is based on how well-known you are and on your fame. Whatever your accomplishments may be, it's fleeting. John was famous for a little bit, but that wasn't what he was all about. He must increase, but I must decrease. John had done his job. He had done his job. And here's the thing. John knew what his job was from the very beginning. He knew exactly what he needed to be doing, and he stayed focused on that till the end. In chapter 1, verse 28, he says this. I think we have it. There we go. The one who comes after me, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. He couldn't stoop down and touch Jesus' shoes. He's not worthy. Or verse 30, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. He knew exactly who Jesus was, and he knew exactly who he was. And he wasn't chasing the wrong things. He wasn't after the fame that was for Jesus. And he knew, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Lamb of God. I'm not the one who's going to take away the sins of the world. That's his job. I was just sent to prepare the way for him. And in this sense john is the model witness this is exactly what every witness to christ should look like he must increase but i must decrease here at redeeming grace our goal is not us not our programs not our numbers our goal is the lifting up of jesus and even not just as a church but as individuals When you think about what you live for day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, what is it that you're all about? Whose reputation are you most interested in advancing? Are you interested in advancing yourself, your family, maybe even a friend or a child? So often, we are distracted at work, at school with just trying to make ourselves look great. Sometimes some of us are so exhausted from trying to look impressive in front of our friends or our peer group, we get tired of putting on the show. But what if Jesus' reputation was what gripped us? What if we wanted to make Jesus look amazing? What if that was what we were all about? Can you imagine what your life would look like if it was completely gripped Focused on the person of Jesus. Some people might think you're crazy. And people definitely thought John the Baptist was a little bit crazy. But he was completely focused on Jesus. And it would be amazing if here at Redeeming Grace that our joy was made complete as Jesus is made more and more and we are made less and less. Now, One of the things that's key in the book of John is this whole idea of witness and testimony. Mark Whitaker became a witness in one of the biggest trials of the century, though most of us hadn't heard of it. John the Baptist is a witness in the greatest trial of human history. And John, our Gospel writer, has brought him to the front as witness number one on the stand. And if you pay attention to the Gospel of John, you'll notice that the words witness and testimony show up everywhere. The whole book is about one grand trial. So as you read through the Gospel of John, as we go through this Gospel, think about who are the witnesses and who is on trial. Because John, we're told in 1, verse 7, that he came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe He came as a witness for the great cosmic court case. And so one of the questions is, will we listen to the testimony of John? But here in chapter three is a transition. John is witness number one, but he's making a shift. John actually is going to disappear from the scene because in in his role as witness, He gets thrown into prison, we're told in verse 24 of this chapter. John hasn't yet been thrown into prison, but he will be. And so he's moving off the scene. And so John, our gospel writer, is transitioning us now to another witness. And that witness is this guy that everyone's going after, this guy named Jesus. And I want to look now at verses 31 through 36. Because... John has been testifying about Jesus and setting up him as a greater witness. Notice in verses thirty in verse thirty one, two times we're told that the one who is from heaven is above all. The one who is from heaven is above all. Everything belongs to him. And this one who is above all, he actually also bears witness to what he has seen and heard but he's seen and heard things that are heavenly remember his conversation with nicodemus nicodemus is has a moment, nicodemus is one of the smartest guys in israel at the time he's like more or less kind of like a harvard scholar or something and jesus is talking with him and nicodemus is, suddenly finds himself feeling pretty stupid he's like what are you talking about because jesus is talking about heavenly things but he's trying to use earthly means Jesus has seen heavenly things that he's telling people about so not only is his origin more important than John's he's from heaven but verse 35 God loves this guy he loves the son and how does the father love people the father loves people by giving stuff and he has given all things to the son he's given the spirit the holy spirit to the son And in fact, we heard in John 3.16 that God has loved the world by giving the world his son. God is very generous and he has given the spirit without measure, verse 34, to his son. And he's given all things to his son. So Jesus is so much more important. Both John has said he's more important. And now we're told that the father loves him more. So you expect That if anyone's going to listen to somebody, it'll be this guy. How do people respond to Jesus and his testimony? Look at verse 32. No one receives his testimony. Whoa, wait a second. If he's more important than John, and he's from heaven, and he is from the Father, and the Father loves him and has given him everything, well, why don't people listen to this guy? No one listens. To Jesus In one of the Gospels Jesus says Why do you call me Lord, Lord But you don't do what I say Everyone has great respect for Jesus I've been teaching a World religions course And uh, what's amazing is Everyone loves to talk And say good things about Jesus But it's amazing how little it seems That people have actually read About what Jesus testifies about No one receives his testimony, even though, verse 34, the one whom God sends speaks God's words. There is a big payoff, though, if you listen to Jesus' testimony, we're told. That if you listen to Jesus, you put your stamp of approval that what God says is true. If you don't, you say that God is a liar. The other thing is, is that if you listen to the testimony of Jesus, We're told that you have eternal life. You will live forever if you listen to Jesus' testimony. John's testimony could only point you to Jesus. But Jesus' testimony will make you live forever if you believe it. But verse 36, if you don't believe it, the wrath of God abides on the person that does not listen to the testimony of Jesus. The testimony of Jesus is incredibly weighty. The outcome is massive, eternal life or the wrath of God. Mark Whitaker, actually, his story has a bit of a twist. Because he was a main witness in this court case, he was a spy and a witness, but he was also himself guilty. He had been involved in all the things that he was exposing. He was actually one of the highest uh, whistleblowers in a company ever in human history. And in that sense, seems like a pretty good guy. The thing is, is that the reason Mark Whitaker went to the FBI was not because he was super jazzed about exposing uh, evil and injustice, It was because his wife found out about it. And she told him that either he would report to the FBI or she would. And so he decided to beat her to the chase. And by going to the FBI, he enabled the fact that he would serve less time, but he was nonetheless guilty. However, what's really strange about Whitaker is that he was standing in his kitchen with the FBI and his wife, and they offered him terms. You're guilty, Mark, you're guilty. You can't get out of this. And they offered him nine months in prison instead of years. But he had a moment. He was not completely convinced that he was wrong. Odd enough. And he took the nine months that was offered to him and he tore it up. And he looked at his wife and said, you did this to me. And he served nine years in prison. You'd think that someone that smart would take nine months over nine years. But he didn't get it that he was guilty, even though he was helping the good guys. He was guilty, and he deserved what he was getting. The testimony of Jesus rescues us. The testimony of Jesus gives life. We're all condemned as it stands. We all face the wrath of God as it stands. Now, here's the good news about Mark Whitaker. The reason his wife was super concerned about whether he was doing right and wrong was she had just herself met Jesus. And she stuck with him through nine years. She stuck with him. Many, many people that go to prison will end up, if they're married, divorce. But his wife loved him for nine years. And he got moved from several federal prisons. And not just like down the street, like towns, states. And his wife would follow him. And he himself actually came to believe in the testimony of Jesus. So he was this incredible witness, but he found himself believing the testimony of someone higher and better. And he found life, and he was a changed man. And that is us. Will we listen to the testimony of Jesus Christ? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have so loved us that you gave your Son for us. And I pray that you would help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear this morning the testimony of the Lord Jesus as well as the testimony of John. And I pray that our lives would be lives in which Jesus must increase, but we must decrease. Oh Lord, help us to have such humility and such thankful hearts, we pray in Jesus' name.